Hey everybody, this is Connor, your podcast producer. We're back with another Yellowbird Connect podcast. A very special guest on this one, Pat, is chatting with Marco Santorelli, the founder and president of Narada Real Estate Investments. Marco has a ton of investing experience. He's been in the game since he was 18. He has his own podcast called Passive Real Estate Investing. He shares a ton of information in this one, folks. Really hope you enjoy the conversation. Have a great week. The main reason we started Connect is to give everyone the opportunity to do what I did. We wanted to be able to offer the real estate community, especially locally, something new, something that was fresh. And if we can help a couple people change their lives through this education. Just one person or two people coming up to me saying, man, that was awesome. Like what you put on was great. And it'd be a huge win for everyone. If you've gotten any value at all from this Yellowbird podcast, Make sure to like, subscribe, and rate us on iTunes. What's up, everybody? This is Pat Flynn. We're on the Yellowbird Connect podcast. Today, we have a special guest from California, Marco Santorelli. Um, he is the operator of Norda Real Estate, and they're a uh, real estate investment firm out in California, but they do uh, turnkey rentals all over the country. So he's going to provide a lot of value to us on passive real estate investing. He's got his own podcast called the Passive Passive Real Estate Investing Podcast. I've listened to a couple ad episodes, adds some great value in trying to, you know, build your wealth and invest passively in real estate. So thanks for being here, Marco. Pat, it's an honor to be here. Thank you for inviting me on. So I want to get started um, with, can you just tell us a little bit about your background, how you got started and what you're focused on right now with uh Norda and uh, and with your podcast and everything you got going on. Sure. So I'll try and keep that part brief. Um, you know, I, I, I've been a serial entrepreneur my entire life and I've always wanted to figure out how to create wealth. So I studied money and investing from an early age. Actually, I probably was 13 or 14. Um, but I don't say that to brag. I just say that because I really was trying to figure out the code to creating wealth, you know, and, and really at the time I didn't think of it as passive income as you and I were talking about before. But really, that's the secret, you know, to it all is having uh, some people call it mailbox money, but essentially income coming in every month. That what that's what leads to financial independence and then ultimately to financial freedom. So knowing what I knew at the time, I started some small businesses. But I think one of the uh, defining moments I, I've had a few in my life was buying my first rental at 18. So I bought a property, fixed it up, leased it out, managed it myself for a number of years and then sold it. The biggest mistake I made with that rental was actually selling it because what was essentially about a $40,000 townhome end unit is about $400,000 today uh, and it was probably kicking off or is kicking off about $3,500 uh, today, but I never kept it. So that was my mistake. Um, there was a lot in the middle between then and now, but if you just fast forward to 2003, I got the bug and I got back into real estate investing. So I created a system for myself, systems for me to invest from Southern California to as far as Florida, all the way up uh, north to uh, Michigan. And in the course of nine months, I acquired 84 units. And um, yes, I made my fair share of mistakes, but the writing was on the wall. That's exactly what I wanted to do. So. I created my portfolio back in 2003. Investors came to me saying, hey, can you coach me, help me, mentor me? And I said, no, no, and no, uh, because I didn't have the time. But what I did have was deal flow. So that's really how Norada Real Estate Investments, my company, was started as investors were coming to me saying, hey, look, I'm spending tens of thousands in education, but I don't know how to actually pull the trigger and put these deals together or buy the deals. I'm looking for deal flow. 
can you help me? So I started just finding deals for them and uh, and that's how the business was born. So entrepreneur and investor all came together to become you know what we see today. That's a lot of info right there. I want to start with um, I want to start with you buying your first. So you bought your first rental at 18, um, ended up selling it when you when you started the business in 2003. Um, and you decided to hit a bunch of different markets around the United States. What what fueled that decision um, as opposed to someone? And you hear a lot on, uh, you know, um, the real estate education side of things. It's stay close to home. Uh, you know your numbers. You know your market better, especially when you're first getting started. Um, I know a lot of people from Jacksonville listen to this podcast. There's a ton of opportunity in Jacksonville. What would you say, what was your main purpose in leaving the market you were in to try to go to other markets? Why not just focus where you were and try to really dominate and build your portfolio there where you could drive to all the houses? What's funny is you said there was a lot there and everything I had answered previous. And now everything you just said is like opening up a can of worms in my head with all the things I want to say about your question. <laughs> um Look, I, I was making the mistakes that a lot of investors make back then, and that is they were following the herd. I was investing in places, some of the places I was investing is because other investors were investing there, not because I knew what to look for. I was looking at the deal. I was very myopic. And w if I knew what I knew today back then, things would be a lot different because I would follow my sixth rule of my 10 rules of successful real estate investing, and that is to take a top-down approach. And that means you start with the market, then you look at the submarkets, then you focus on neighborhoods, and then you look at your properties. And while you're doing that entire funnel approach, you're building a team around you of competent professionals that will help you be successful in real estate. And those are people from your broker to your lender to your asset protection attorney to your CPA, uh, inspector, on and on the list goes. I know that clearly today, but I, I was kind of fumbling around early on back then trying to put it all together. So I picked some markets based upon the story of the market, but I was also picking markets uh, just because other investors were investing there. Like Southwest Florida is a great example. You know the whole story of, of the cyclical nature of, of Cape Coral, Lehigh Acres, um, you know, um, Fort Myers you know, history repeats itself. That's a very cyclical market. So I chose that market because so many other investors that I met with were investing there. I didn't really have a fundamental reason to be there other than I was speculating on the market. And fortunately, I made some money there, but I also lost some money. Um, but look, when you're 2,000 miles away, you're in Southern California, you have to have systems in place. Now, to your point, you know, the, I, I think that a lot of the quote-unquote gurus out there falsely tell investors or wannabe investors to invest within a one or two hour radius of where they live. Well, that may be good advice if two things are in place. Number one, you're an active real estate investor. You're picking up the hammer, rolling up your sleeves, and you're actively buying, fixing, and 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 either flipping or, or holding these properties that you're actively involved in. Then you could drive by and, and be more closely uh, involved in managing that, that project. Number two uh, is... Um, Oh, I lost my train of thought. Uh, th that advice I was saying was flawed. Oh, here's the other thing. The, the, the flaw with that is, is if you live in an expensive market like I do here in Orange County, California, or in San Francisco or New York, or in Washington, D.C., these are very expensive markets. They're not only pricey, but in many cases, you can argue they're overpriced. So your ability to buy something that is reasonably priced 
and that will rent high enough. You know, you called it the 1% rule before, but it, if it rents high enough to cover all your expenses and your debt service and leave enough left over that you have a measurable rate of return, whether it's a cap rate or cash on cash return, then you really shouldn't be investing in your local backyard or, or in a market that's overpriced. The, the bottom line is this, pick the markets that provide the best fundamentals, the best technicals, have a strong, healthy housing market, have a strong job market, have positive net migration, and the numbers make sense. So Jacksonville is a great example. Your backyard is a great backyard. In Jacksonville, you can find a lot of deals. Yeah, you know, it, it's been very active and appreciating, but still you can find deals there where the numbers make sense and you still have a vibrant market. I don't have that opportunity here in Southern California. Neither do people in San Francisco or New York or Washington, D.C. or many other markets. So I hope I answered your question. You did. <laughs> After all that. I think you, I think you really hit it on the head because uh, my biggest pitfall when I – first got started is I didn't understand that concept that you just went over, um, that you can't just go into somewhere like New York city, um, you know, where you're at in Southern or in Orange County, California, and just go in and buy cash flowing rentals off the MLS. That's what I thought from the research I had done and the learning, I, the very limited learning I had at the time. That's what I thought I could do. So I'm, I lived in a nicer part of Jacksonville, Jacksonville beach, um, I thought I had to invest in my backyard, so I overpaid for a house in Jacksonville Beach. I bought it for 240 grand. I ended up putting another 40 or 50 grand into it, um, and uh, you know it rented for 2,200 or so a month. But it it was only cash flowing 50 or 100 bucks. After all, you know the money I was getting a cash on cash return of like seven percent. And I had all my money invested in this house. I didn't think or you know, I didn't have the wherewithal to go to networking events in my town and find out, hey, if you just drive 10 miles down the road that way, there's this awesome blue collar community where you can buy houses for, you know, buy good solid block houses for 75, 80 grand and they rent for 1500. I mean, the return on a house like that, you know, for that, I could have bought three of those houses for the time and energy and cash I had invested in this one house at the beach, sure, the beach is a great place and it appreciates. But if your if your goal is to cash flow and have several good assets in your portfolio, you can't buy a bunch of higher end houses. You can't go out, you know, in New York City and pay full retail for stuff and ex expect it to cash flow. So that was a huge pitfall um, when I got started. So what I would suggest. And uh, let me know if you agree with me is anywhere when you're getting getting started in a market, talk to people who are already doing it in that market. Talk to the investors that are already there. See where they're buying, the types of returns they're getting, then compare it to your goals and what you're trying to get and then act only if you when you have all that knowledge. But I'm really glad you hit on that stuff because that is that was my biggest failure starting off was not knowing that, hey, Maybe these numbers aren't going to work. I, I just thought it worked in every market. Maybe these numbers aren't going to work here, and you have to go somewhere else to do it, whether it's in your city or whether it's in a different city. Right. Yeah. Well said. Well summarized. I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, you, you really it's you work hard for your money. You've got savings to deploy, and that's your investment capital. You want it to work hard. You want, want to protect and preserve it on the one hand, but you want it to earn the highest rate of return as you, as you possibly can. So real estate is a great asset class. You got that piece, you know, that that box checked off. Now the question is, knowing that real estate is not only local but actually hyper local, choose your markets in your neighborhoods appropriately so you have 
um, a, a stable investment in an area that's going to generate an immediate rate of return that's acceptable to you and has um, growth or growth or appreciation potential over the long term because of the research and fundamentals that you've played in. So if you do that, guess what? You've el probably elim eliminated 90% of your quote unquote risk. There's always going to be risk. And for me, if you invest properly in real estate, the risk is not so much in the property itself, but the people that you're working with, your tenant and your team. So risk is in the people, not so much the property if you're buying right. Let me let me ask you this. If uh, if I'm someone that, you know, has a regular job, you know, I make a decent salary, I'm looking to get into real estate and I've done all the research possible. Um, and eventually I want to be like you who has turnkeys going in different markets. What what type of return, what type of price point should I be going for on my first house? Or is that solely based on my goals with my investment? What would you say to someone just getting started? Didn't really have a lot of goals really, but was trying to start passive income. What kind of things would you tell them to look for in his in his market? In his, uh, what kind of cash flow should he be getting out of that house? Well, you're probably asking me five questions all rolled into one there, which is great. <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned goals. You definitely want to start off with with some goals because what are you aspiring to? What are the reasons you're doing what you're doing? You know, you have to have something beyond a wish. You need to have a goal. And then if you take that goal and map it out into an action plan, and you break it down into uh, a criteria that's driving your decisions. Now, now you have clear direction. You've got a compass in your hand to help you make those investment decisions. Now you can start choosing markets, neighborhoods, and properties and, and say, yeah, these are good because they meet my minimum requirement or my criteria, and these don't. In terms of rates of return um, and price points, first of all, price is market-specific. So I cannot say to you that you should be looking at $50,000, $80,000, $100,000, or $150,000 properties because what that is in – in you know a particular suburb in in Jacksonville, Florida, is going to be much different than it is here in in Laguna Niguel, California, which is going to be radically different than what it is in either Houston or Detroit or anywhere else for that matter. So, the point there is a B class neighborhood in your backyard is going to be different than a B class neighborhood in somewhere where I live, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So you're better off looking at um, what is the uh, availability of inventory and the income potential of those properties in the markets and neighborhoods you want to be in. So let me give you an example. Let's just say I identify uh, Houston as, as the market that I should be building my real estate portfolio in right now, whether I'm just starting or whether I already have an established portfolio, it doesn't matter. And let's just say Houston is, is my target market. Now, assuming I'm working with the right people or I have my team in place or I'm, you know, you're working with a, a turnkey provider or whatever, you start to identify the neighborhoods that meet your your criteria. That could be based on demographics. You know, I want to deal with blue collar or maybe upper blue collar or maybe maybe uh, you know white collar professionals. That will dictate where you're going to be looking or where you're going to be buying property in, uh, and and therefore that's going to determine price as well. Because in a market like that, I can be in like a B B minus neighborhood for eighty to hundred thousand dollars. Or I can move up to like like a uh, B plus A minus neighborhood for like 150 to 180 thousand. My cash on cash return and my my cap rates are going to differ between those. They're going to be more attractive at the 80 thousand dollar, 100 thousand dollar level than they will be at the 180 thousand dollar level. But anecdotally speaking, that 150, 180 thousand dollar property will probably have a better class of tenant 
the demographics will be a little more attractive for me. And, and in most cases, the appreciation potential, or at least the stability of that property is gonna be better than the lower end of that spectrum. So you need to ask yourself as an investor, what am I looking for? Do I want a higher rate of return now in lieu of you know that growth potential? Do I want to deal with a different type of demographic than what I am accustomed to or what I'd like? Um, you, you know, there's these questions you need to ask, and when you ask, start answering these questions, probably only a handful of questions, it starts to um, give you dire direction and, and and helps you answer the question of what should I be buying. And I'll make a comment related to all that. Some investors make the mistake of saying, oh, I just want to, quote unquote, start small or dip my toe in the water. And so they think that starting small or dipping their toe in the water is buying that 40 or $50,000 single family home, which is often in like a CC minus type neighborhood. And we find these all over the country. It's, it's not that, you know, they're just in certain areas. The problem with that is, is, is twofold. Number one, <clears throat> the demographic, and I'm not picking on a demographic, I'm just saying the demographic of that tenant class is often very transient. They often don't have good credit and they don't necessarily care much about their credit. And so they're very transient. They will be late on rent. They, sometimes they skip rent. Sometimes they go from job to job. There, there's just more headaches and issues and maybe not for you directly, maybe for your property manager. Number two is, and this is the big issue I have, that $50,000 property probably was a $50,000 property five or 10 years ago and probably will still be a fifty or you know $1,000 pro property five or 10 years from now. So don't expect appreciation um, and even the ability to finance that $50,000 property because lenders don't want to lend on a loan that small. Uh, and even if they did, there's probably not a lot of retail comps in the area to support that value anyway. So I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> you made a lot of good points right there. Just this, that three minutes of you talking, I know it would have been hugely valuable for me just getting started. It's so true. It's it's a give and take and a balance, right? Set your goals in the beginning. If your goal is extreme cash cash on cash return and cash flow, yeah, you can buy a whole portfolio of 40, $50,000 houses in Jacksonville. Are the tenants, do you have pretty much no chance of appreciation unless there's some sort of huge neighborhood gentrification? Yeah, but uh, are you going to be dealing with, you know, lower demographic tenants where, you know, the credit's not as good, they're missing rent, you're going to deal with evictions. Yeah, you, you'll deal with all that. Or do you want to deal with a higher end tenant? Uh, I'm just summarizing what you said, because I think it's so important to set these goals before you get started. Um, you can deal with the, you know, upper working class tenant. I know in Jacksonville for the 80 to $120,000 range, or, you know, kind of white collar houses, 180 grand and up. And they all they all work if you set the the plan ahead of time. Um, you know, my house that I got in in Jack's Beach, um, higher end, it still cash flows a little bit. Appreciation's been good on it. If your plan is to buy a bunch of those, um, you know, then then and you set that ahead of time and you execute on that, that can work too. You can build a really valuable portfolio that way also. So a lot of good points right there. Um, can you talk about your business now? and uh, how you're doing. Are you working with turnkey companies in these other markets or are you doing acquisitions direct to seller on your own? Or are you getting them off MLS? What are you? What does your business look like now? It's a combination of both, but it, for the last 15 and a half years, for the most part, it's been um, our, our relationships with vetted new home builders and, and uh, property re rehabbers. A lot of these guys 
just do a lot of volume, but they have no website, no marketing presence. You know, they they just produce good product and then they hand it over to us. Often it's exclusive inventory that you can't get anywhere else. Because this is we, builders we and flippers, you said? Builders and flippers? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So these are essentially off-market properties that have been newly renovated or they're new construction. Like we have a lot of fourplex new construction projects going on in, in three or four different markets right now. So we have this inventory uh, and, and it's it's a wide variety. We probably have 100 to 200 properties at any given time. M much of it is on our website, but a lot of it is not up there because it doesn't ever get up there. Like if you're a client of ours and we're working with you and you, you're basically telling us, okay, this is who I am. These are my goals. This is my criteria. And we pull this stuff out of your head with our free uh, strategy sessions. We'll kind of map that out. And then that will show you and I what you are looking for as a client There's an investor. It, it may be on our website, but whether it is or isn't, you know, my, my team of investment counselors will know exactly where to go to pull that inventory for you so we can present it uh, and, sh and, and then you can shortlist it and then you can decide which one or two or maybe three that you're going to put under contract and then, you know, do our due diligence and go into in the financing and, you know, follow a, a whole process of steps. But, um, but um, but yeah, this this is typically off-market uh, inventory that is uh, often exclusive to us, and uh, sometimes it doesn't last more than you know two days, just depending on what it is. So is your is your business model you you get this stuff from builders and flippers, newly renovated or new stuff in markets that you know work? Um, yeah, and then you close on it resell it to your clients as a turnkey on the back end? Are you doing anything in the middle or just are you the middleman between closing on you close on it, you know, in Houston and then resell it to a oh. client? Oh, I, I, I see. I, yeah, you used the word a couple times now. Now I see where you're, 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 you're going with that. We no think of us as, as trying to as figure as out how you make money, Marco. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the easy way to ask the question, right? Think, think of us as we are a real estate brokerage. So think of us as the hub of a wheel and every service provider and and um, resource that you need as an investor is a spoke on that wheel. So when you're working with us, you essentially have everything you would ever need under one roof through us and our network. So our only form of compensation is really on the sale of the property. It comes from the sales side of the, the transaction, not the buy side. That's why our services are always free to you. We never charge our clients a dime because we provide all that value and education and the properties at no cost. We only get compensated on the back end from the uh, sellers that we work with. Okay. So it's, it's just commission income. It's not like you're closing on them and upcharging them or anything like no, that. No, we're not, we're not flipping the property. We, we don't take part in that transaction. We, we have no benefit from that transaction. It's not a fund. We're not an equity partner. We're not doing syndications. You are the sole beneficiary of that property. So we are trying to help you build a portfolio of the right properties for you. And you have a hundred percent of all the benefits from it. Wow. That's a really interesting way to do it. I, I mean, that just seems like a really good deal for people calling in, looking, getting, getting into investing. You know, they have a call with you, you tell them which markets you like. And are these investors from all over uh, America? 90% uh, are from within the United States. A lot of those are like in more, some of the more expensive markets, like the coastal markets of the U.S. because we joke, I like to jokingly say they're equity rich and cash flow poor. 
<laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, but five to ten percent of them come from all around the world. Like we're we're you know we're dealing with someone right now from Austria. Uh, we've got you know clients from Japan, Canada, you know all all kinds of places. Are you keeping stuff? Also, in these markets, are you kind of look always looking for your own portfolio too? And is that portfolio the company's, or is, would it be yours personally? Well, my me and my entire team here, we have six investment counselors, including myself and and um, you know a transaction coordinator and some assistants. Uh, we're all investors. You know, we okay. we all invest. Uh, we're all licensed uh, real estate brokers and agents, and we all invest. Uh, but the inventory is available to anybody. Me, you. All of our clients, uh, you know, I'm actively purchasing right now. Um, I was uh, building a portfolio just recently in Kansas City, Missouri. Now I've stopped buying there, and now I'm um, I'm I'm now purchasing in Wisconsin. Um, the Milwaukee market is one of our markets. We don't get a lot of inventory there. It kind of comes and goes in small waves, um, but I'm actively. Uh, you know, building my personal portfolio in Wisconsin at the moment. But, you know, when I'm done there, when I've got my footprint there, I'm going to move on to another market. That's the beautiful thing about being market agnostic. Yeah. We're not married to anybody, nor are we married to a market. In fact, the whole concept of being market agnostic is my fifth rule of those 10 rules of successful real estate investing I mentioned before, which is on our website. It's, it's one of those sticky posts. It's always at the top. Um, but, but you have to realize that the United States is a, is a very large market. We have over 400 metropolitan statistical areas, and it's over 600 if you include micro markets. So the fact that you have these many markets, you as a prudent, smart investor have to be market agnostic. You can't marry yourself to one market because, look, every market has its own real estate cycle and its own dynamics and dr uh, drivers. So <clears throat> things will change every three, six, 12 months. So you have to keep your eye on the markets um, to know where, you know, the best places are to invest at any given time. And we track 405 all the time. So we know what these markets are doing. Um, appreciation, depreciation, you know, we have a matrix that we, we, we uh, have in-house here to see what's going on around the country. And that's a, that's a really interesting way to do it. And what a service to someone that's looking to, looking to grow or get started or, you know, um, join and get into another market. I mean, someone could, from Jacksonville could call you and get, uh, you know, they could bounce numbers that they're getting in Jacksonville and you should say, oh, you should really be investing in Milwaukee. And you're only, you're, you're buying these either newly renovated or new construction houses and you're only paying 3% commission to get them. And they're at good no, cash. You're paying, you're paying zero. Oh the, yeah. So the listing side, you're paying zero commission. It's the listing side that Right. 3%. Yeah. yeah there, I mean, there are no fees to, to you as a client. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a phenomenal way to do it. What would you say now are your biggest, um, what is your bottleneck within your guys's model right now? Do you need more investors? Do you need more product and inventory to sell? Where, where's the bottleneck right now? Yeah, that's, that's actually a really interesting question because I've always said that there's never a state of equilibrium when it comes to real estate. The real estate market, the real estate industry, and the real estate business is like the pendulum of a clock. It's always swinging back and forth. It, there's an ebb and flow. There's never equilibrium because you, you buyer demand fluctuates, inventory fluctuates. And so you've always got these two dynamics of supply and demand that are, that are in flux. And so there's never a state of perfect equilibrium when it comes to real estate. 
So right now we have a lot of clients, a lot of deal flow, a lot of, we get a lot of calls from investors. We probably get four to six inquiries a day. Um, but at the same time, we are fortunate that we have a lot of inventory available. Like I said, we have at least 100, sometimes as much as 150, 200 available at any, any given time. They're in the pipeline. They're not necessarily all completed or built with a tenant in place, but that doesn't mean they're not available. You can still say, hey, I'll, I'll earmark that one and because it, and it, it fits my criteria. Remember, it comes back to your goals and your criteria. So it, let that be the driver, and then you can say, yeah, that's the perfect property. It's in the right place, right market, right neighborhood. I like, I like everything about it. That's perfect. So, but there's no equilibrium. That's that's the thing. You have to just roll with it. Mm -hmm. These uh, these relationships you have with builders and flippers and all these markets, I mean, that's, I mean, that's a real strong relationship to have. Are those something that you you know you set a goal within the company? We're gonna build. We're going to continue to build these relationships with more people. Is that where your investment strategy is? Is that part of their job is to go out and build these relationships so you have more product flowing also? Yeah. Yeah, to some degree. My assistant and I both kind of uh, have our finger on the pulse of, 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 of markets that we want to open up. But the thing is, it doesn't change all that much really from year to year. We have really good, well-rooted uh people, providers, and teams that we work with in every market. So it, it's not that we're, you know, every six months or 12 months, we're changing the people we work with. I'd say from year to year, 90% of the people we were working with the previous year, we're still working with that year, unless we've, you know, we're done with the market and we're out. Um, I'd say once every 12 to 16 months, we fire somebody. You know, you may be working with a, a property. This is a particularly true with property management companies, not so much with property providers or builders that we work with. But it seems like every once in a while, like at least once every year to two years, a company goes rogue. They start off doing a great job in terms of property management. Uh, they communicate well. You know, things are just humming along. And then all of a sudden, things start to fall apart. Communication gets slower. It, it falls through the cracks. Um, there are issues with the property or the tenant and, you know, the, the management company slow to step in, fix the problem, address the tenant. It, it just becomes a problem. And so we try and fix it by opening up a line of communication, saying, hey, what's going on? Like, what's the problem here? If that doesn't fix it, let's call that a virtual slap on the hand. But if that doesn't fix the problem, and it happens again and again, well, we're, we're basically done. You know, there are other professional property management companies that we can onboard and recommend or refer to our clients. So we want to be that first point of contact for you, and we want to be that line of defense. We, we're essentially your advocate, and we're going to be there by your side, making sure that you are successful. And, and that's the whole thing about our, you know, our investment counselors is we're there to counsel you and, and guide you. But yeah, we'll fire we'll fire someone. We're not married. Like I said, we're agnostic. We're not married to anybody. Mm -hmm. When you when you first started this business, was this was this the vision in the end? And when you, when you were setting your goals and you were growing, was the vision to be this front line um, and uh, you know selling the selling good properties to investors? And how did it when you first started? How did things shift? And how did you end up where you are now? Well, I'm going to answer that in two ways. In the beginning, I read, I, I trademarked two phrases. One is live where you want, invest where it makes sense. And the reason for that is exactly what I talked about before. And that's the whole thing about being market agnostic. So I was investing from Southern California. So I wanted to live in Southern California because I like it here. You know, weather's great. You know, it's 
perfect every day. The ocean's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I couldn't invest here because it was getting too expensive. So live where you want, invest where it makes sense. The tagline of the business right from the get-go was your premier source for turnkey cash flow investment property. That still is to this day on the top of our website, the tagline for our business. So that was then, and that is still is today. But what has evolved over the years is our mission statement. The mission statement, I might butcher this because we're you know doing a recording here, but I, I pretty much know what it is. It's basically this. We want to help 1 million people create passive, create wealth and passive income uh, so they can have financial freedom through real estate. This is essentially it. That's our mission. You know, so we want it to be, they don't necessarily need to be clients of ours, but we want to help 1 million people get on the track to financial freedom and have that passive income using real estate as that vehicle. That's, that's very interesting. Uh, we're, I'm big on setting goals and all that. And that whole part of the business now recently, uh, came to my attention how important that is and having a direction because, you know, uh, towards the beginning of when we were first getting started, we were solely focused on acquisitions, grind, 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 but we didn't really have a direction of, we didn't have a mission statement like yours of, you know, you have, you know how many people you want to help, you know, exactly what you're doing. That was one of our weaknesses in the beginning. So I love dissecting, you know, how people started, where they were heading in the beginning and where they ended up. Um, one more tactical question before I get into more of the mindset stuff is someone calls from Jacksonville, they own a couple properties here. They want to invest with you. Um, how do your people typically, your clients typically finance the properties they're, they're buying? Um, and what tips can you give to someone that, uh, you know, doesn't have the cash to do it, wants to invest with you, um, and doesn't quite know when to, where to get started, how much money they need to save up to do it. Uh, I'm sure your, your, uh, you know, your consultants, you know, have all this information and, and map it out. But could you just give me an idea of what someone would have to do? I, I, Pat, I love your questions. Your questions are all three questions in one. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just I'm trying to remember one. the first one and then the second one. <clears throat> so, um, you know, to invest, you need two things, the two C's. You need cash and you need credit. If you don't have the cash, get yourself a partner or, or start a business or, you know, work more hours, do whatever you can to get more cash, because unless you have investable cash, you really can't invest in real estate. You, you know, it is possible to, to do low down, nothing down deals if you get really creative and you find a motivated seller. But, you know, that's that's not typical. It's doable, but it's not typical. So let's just assume that for the sake of this conversation that uh, you have reasonable credit or good credit and you have some investable cash, whether it's just you or you and a spouse or you and a partner, you're in a position where you can invest. Most investors, and when I say most, I mean almost all, finance their investments, which means that they put uh, a down payment, often it's the minimum down payment, and that's often 20%, because with conventional financing, you really don't have a choice. The minimum down payment is 20%, sometimes it's 25%. And, and that's with single family homes with with multifamily, like two, three and four unit properties, just add five percent to what I just said. Now, that's conventional financing. That's from, you know, the big boys, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, the, you know, the government sponsored entities. <clears throat> now, you can get 10 of those on your credit score. If you have a, a spouse or significant other, you can get another 10 there. So theoretically, the two of you can have 20 conventional loans. It's the cheapest financing. It is the best deal out there. It's a 30-year loan. You can get it at a fixed rate. There is no better deal than that. Now, if you tap that out, your next 
step is really to go with a portfolio lender. It's a lender that controls their own pool of money and they have their own criteria. Theoretically, you can get an unlimited number of those loans. So once you've tapped out your 10 conventional loans, now we start working with the portfolio lenders that we work with we'll, that will also do 30-year fixed rate mortgages. The interest rate is a little bit higher, but that's okay. It's still super cheap money. You're still locking in to a fixed rate for a 30-year amortization. That's a great deal. Uh, so the question is, how many of those do you want? The answer is as many as I could possibly get. So, um, so that's how investors finance it because the power in real estate is, is the fact that you can leverage your investment capital five to one. I can buy a $100,000 property for $20,000 down. And even though I'm borrowing 80% of it, guess what? I own 100% of it. I have 100% of the benefits. I have 100% of the tax write-offs. I get 100% of the appreciation. That's a, that's a great deal. So that's a really, that a yeah, I like how simple you made it. And, uh, you, you know, you hit some really powerful points there on, you know, you don't have to become this crazy success story overnight. It's one property at a time, just 20% down in the first one. Um, you know, get the set slowly build up to 10, your next steps, portfolio lender. And it's clearly mapped out. Um, it just takes a little bit of effort and work to go in there and, you know, figure out what your goals are and actually execute on it. And real estate's the easiest thing. If it's a, passive investment for you and you work a regular job is the easiest thing to put off. So that's what I push, try to push to everyone is you have to go out there and do it because no one's going to give them to you. You have to go out there and do it. Um, yeah. You, you, wanna, you know what a great thing is that you just said <clears throat> the word execute. That's where a lot of people fail. You know, they, 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 they have their goals. <clears throat> they have a plan. They know they want to invest. They have investable capital. Uh, they educate themselves to death. But but they never put the rubber on the road. They never take that that key critical step that takes them down the path of taking action towards putting a property under contract. That that is so critically important. And that's the that's the closing advice I would have on on any interview is, you know, educate yourself and take action. Just make it happen. I call it MCH. Make crap happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I went to a conference over the weekend and there's they said something like i'm gonna butcher this too but there's three types of people there's type there's people that make things happen people that watch things happen and people that never even know something happened so yeah <laughs> and it's yeah. so true if you go out and look at look at the internals of businesses or you look out look at guys that are out there doing things it's it's so different to be able to go out there and do it execute on it uh one last question i had for you um marco is just about your mindset and what you do for, you know, personal, personal development in your own life. Because I think going back to the beginning, this is the most important thing. If you're looking to get into real estate, if you're looking to get in investing, um, I know it's, it's what changed my life. I came from a uh, double W2 background of oil field, you know, go to college, learn to work on engines and hammer on stuff. Um, and I wouldn't, have ever made that shift unless I educated myself. So just your input, your two cents on what you do with your mindset and your personal development, even continuing to grow. So when I was about 15 years old, I, I was one of the first people to buy the Tony Robbins personal power program on cassette tape. Yes. I said cassette tape. <laughs> <clears throat> I still have it to this day. Um, so I was always into personal What made you do that, by the way? Was that just ingrained in you or did you see something? Because at 15, 
That, that wouldn't have been me. I'm just wondering, was it, was it already in you? I think it was. I've been asking myself that question for a long time. I really don't know what if there was a trigger moment in my life. Uh, I just know that I had a paper route at the when I was eight years old or something, ten years old. I, I was really young. I had a paper route, and I actually hired my brother to help me. You know, here I am hiring my brother to help me come and deliver papers, right? <laughs> so something something was there. I don't know what it was, but the the point is is that I was investing in myself, and and the point I'm making is the best investment you can make is to invest in yourself. So it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. You should invest in yourself, and that means feeding your mind the right stuff. Listen to you know your podcast here. You know you you have a great podcast. Listen to your podcast. Read books. There's a lot of resources online. A lot of this stuff is free. There's a lot of great books out there. You know, spending 10, 20 bucks on 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 a book is nothing. Um, so there's no excuse not to educate yourself. There's tons of great podcasts out there. You know, I you know we put out a weekly podcast as well. Um, but the point is, is just Feed your mind, feed your brain, read Think and Grow Rich, you know, um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, there's a lot of great, great books out there. There's no excuse not to become a better person. You know, what do you want to do in life? You should become a better version of yourself, right? Be the best you can be. In fact, I have a friend of mine, um, a friend of mine actually says uh, an interesting, has, has a twist on that saying. He says, be the person you want to become. So think about who you want to be and then just be that person or and work to be that person. Great info, Marco. I, I really appreciate your time here. And uh, you gave a ton of good insights on how you're operating your business in California, mindset on how to how to you know get to where you want to be with rentals, executing. Uh, thanks again for being on the show and we wish you the best. Pat, it's been an honor to be on here. Thank you so much and keep up the great work.